Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me. But it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay. Created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Welcome to Slay, episode number 42. A little news in the upcoming works department. I am starting work on the Crypt Book 2. Right now, it's as we speak. That is going to be my next book project instead of GFL Book 7's final draft. As soon as Crypt Book 2 is done, then we will move over, finish GFL Book 7's final draft, and get that out to you. Now, I hope this news doesn't disappoint you, but Athon, the publishers of The Crypt, need that second book done sooner rather than later. They've been very good partners to us, so we aim to comply with their needs and try and help them out where they need the help. And right now, they need me to get off my dead ass and get that book done. So that is the next thing that is coming up. I hope your 2024 is off to a great start. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. And then, of course, it's time to hit the pawn shop. Previously on Slay. Once upon a time, Lincoln Franks was a Rixator, one of, if not the best, in the business. To support and provide for Magda, his former Rixator Sokius, or partner, he quit the Bastion and became a freelance assassin and monster hunter. He hasn't been back to the Bastion since he quit, but his sister Sophia and his brother Lucas said he needs to go back and pay his respects to the Clostator the Bastion's lead person. That Clostator, Juanita, is sick and may not live much longer. While Lincoln is in Cordis, where the Bastion is, he needs to pawn one of Ariella Goldsmith's meshwork charms in order to raise enough money to pay this month's mortgage on the Old Stone Church. And now, episode 42 of Slay. Cordis architecture ran the gamut of the Earth's ancient cultures, legends, and religions, both living and long since dead. From magnificent pagodas to golden shrines, to soaring stone towers, to magnificent pyramids and ziggurats, to mighty castles. Sumerian and Egyptian, Greek and Mesoamerican, Rus and Romanesque, Gothic and Vichnyangar, Tudor and Manuelan, Incan and Moorish, and Hoysala and many more Lincoln didn't know. 
in this section of Cordis, in the heart of the heart, so to speak, all of these buildings, big and small alike, commoner and imperial alike, they all gleamed with intricate detail, with crenellations and outcroppings. They sparkled with meshwork features. Statues, friezes, carvings, mosaics, gargoyles. There was beauty no matter where you looked. Unless you were looking at the Bastion. The Bastion. The place where Lincoln had spent his teenage years and most of his adult life. The place where he had trained relentlessly. The place where he had suffered and succeeded. The place where he had become a Rixator. No delicate features and intricate details here, no sir. The rectangular bastion was devoid of such delicacies. Four plain, gray stone walls anchored at the corners by four plain, octagonal gray towers. The main gate was open, with the porticulus raised. Behind the walls, taller than the 80-foot walls themselves, even taller than 100-foot-tall towers, rose the keep. The 20-foot-thick walls held storage, some offices, and lodging for the poverty-vowed rixators, the juratores, the menaki, and low-level administrators. The keep, though, that was where the real business of the bastion got done. Through that open gate, Lincoln could hear the distant clang of young rixators drilling and sword-fighting, a prerequisite before they were allowed to choose their personal weapon. Lincoln, Magda, Shaheem and others in their class had all done the same back in the day. Soon, he had to go through that gate, enter a place he hadn't set foot in for years. He didn't want to go in. He did not want to be reminded of what he had once been. But he would do it. Right after he took care of the money situation. Lincoln realized he had been slouching. He straightened up, Adjusted his between cloak, with his haze of Samuel covering his eyes, he'd likely be seen as just another Rixator. He got approving nods from passers-by. He relished those little tributes of thanks, of support. It was fun to pretend, at least for a little while. Lincoln returned one of those nods, then turned away from the bastion's walls and headed for the clearinghouse. The clearinghouse was old even by the standards of a city founded before Puzer Ashur I became king. Huge blocks of rose-colored crystal made up the walls, while slim columns of amber supported a tympanum lined with flowering curves of silver. Slate tiles covered the peaked roof, a drab contrast to the rest of the building's gemstone splendor. A tawny-furred Lowenmensch stood sentry on either side of the open entrance. Each held a tall, golden spear in their left hand, a golden kite shield on their right arm. Their lion eyes stared out across the city, ignoring everyone until it was time to not ignore them. Their manes were fluffy and perfect. Fuckers probably had to spend hours in a salon to get manes like that. Lincoln had never squared off against the Lowen Mensch, and he hoped he never would. When it came to the many strains of the enlightened, strength didn't necessarily correlate with size. 
but he had no desire to test the power of a seven-foot-tall lion man that weighed at least 500 pounds. The Lowenmensch never asked visitors to give up weapons or magic, which was evidence that the magic inside the clearinghouse was even more dangerous than the guards outside. And this close to the bastion, clearinghouse patrons would have no idea what kind of meshwork awaited shoplifters and troublemakers. The bastion resonated with a mesh buzz that dampened meshwork effects in its radius. That ancient security measure ensured that anyone dumb enough to attack the bastion would have no idea what dangers awaited inside. The clearinghouse benefited by simple proximity. Lincoln entered. The place was half full of customers lining the glass top counters, buying and selling treasures that dated back to the beginning of time, through future dates yet to come, to eras that never were. Magical items of all stripes, from bracelets and necklaces and rings, to swords and staffs and firearms, to helmets and hard armor and chainmail, to furniture and clothing and tapestries. Weird stuff, too. Jars of pickled eyes. A display of dreidels. A kitchen appliance section, which included a meshwork panini press Lincoln had always lusted after. It made any hot sandwich you could think of in the blink of an eye. Mirrors of all shapes and sizes. A display of various leather and felt bags. Chests both ancient and new. A floor-to-ceiling glass case of 70s memorabilia. Some from 1770, some from 1870, some from 1970, and some, supposedly, from 2070. Buyer beware on that last one. Behind each counter, a snake standing tall. There were several species. Cobras, rattlesnakes, vipers, boas, pythons, coral snakes, and more. All wearing black polo shirts that hung on ghostly, translucent shoulders and arms. Their heads bobbed and weaved as they talked to customers. Their eyes gleamed black with focused interest, if not outright glee. The staff here loved their jobs. The clearinghouse. The place where fortunes were made if you could negotiate the right price. Lincoln scanned the counters, saw his favorite employee, a brown taipan with glistening scales. He strode to her counter fast enough for his cape to catch a bit of air. It was best to look the part. Hello, Peanut, he said. The black eyes stared out. Lincoln, is that you? Detego, Lincoln said. The haze of Ceramel covering his eyes dissipated. Ah, Peanut said. One of my favorite customers. Long time, no see. Lincoln leaned over the counter and spoke quietly. Ah, you know you can drop that list with me, he said. I'm not one of the rubes. Peanut reared back a little, glanced left, glanced right, then met Lincoln's eyes. I appreciate it, she said. You looking for another weapon? I have a set of Vish Canyon throwing knives that just came in, wonderfully balanced. Selling, not buying, Lincoln said. He pulled the balled-up paper towel from a cloak pocket, set it on a velvet mat atop the counter. He unbunched the paper towel, spread it out, 
exposing the thumb-sized hunk of turquoise inside. Classy presentation, Peanut said. Can I at least assume it was a clean paper towel? I mean, it was clean enough. Peanut's ghostly hand picked up the lump of rock, turned it this way and that. A golem channeler. Her tongue flicked in and out. Interesting item. Would you vouch for its functionality? Goddamn thing almost killed me, Lincoln said. It made a golem out of books, of all things. Hundreds of books. What's your offer? Peanut's head slid back, but her eyes stayed fixed on the hunk of turquoise. One hundred gold, she said. Lincoln huffed and looked away, doing his best to seem disgusted. That was how his dad had taught him to barter. It's worth five times that, Lincoln said. You know it. Lincoln actually had no idea how much it was worth. Ariel had said get 500 gold for it, so that was the number he would shoot for. Maybe it's worth that in some establishments, Peanut said, but not this one. I have an entire room of charm pieces in the back. Can't get rid of the stuff. The Taipan continued to stare at the rock, undoubtedly estimating how much she could sell it for. I'll give you one fifty. That would cover the payment to Bingles, but not the mortgage as well. Ariella would likely lose her shit. Four hundred, Lincoln said. Why do you insult me so, Lincoln? Times are hard. Yeah, I'm sure they are. The snakehead quickly dipped down, eyed the rock from the left, then from the right. Two hundred. The head rose up, level with Lincoln's. And that is more than fair. Lincoln, honestly, didn't have time for this. Let's cut the shit, he said. Two fifty. And, uh, you throw in that panini press. I'll pick it up later. The snake's ghostly hand extended. You have a deal. Lincoln and Peanut shook. The hand might look intangible, but the handshake felt firm. Ariella might be mad, sure, but Lincoln couldn't be in court as long or people would find out and come after him. He still had business to attend to. Peanut, uh, can you transfer some of it to the Argentinerai Bank from here? Yes, we have a direct line, Peanut said. Sometimes people want to sell things that won't fit through the door. Houses, buildings, estates, that sort of thing. Of course, the clearinghouse had a direct line. For all the magical trappings, the building's elegance, and the breadth of rare merchandise, the place was still a pawn shop. When people needed money, they pawned things, including houses, buildings, estates, that sort of thing. Lincoln told Peanut the amount and his account number. Peanut went into the back to take care of it right away, leaving Lincoln alone at the counter. He couldn't put it off any longer. Integumento, he said, and the gray haze again covered his eyes. Time to go see Juanita. Time to enter the bastion. Island 
in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. The recruits didn't all stop at once. Lincoln walked across the sprawling courtyard's flagstone road toward the keep. He had the haze across his eyes, but in this place, in the bastion, he was not mistaken for someone else, not assumed to be a good, giving, and game rixator, pledged to poverty and committed to selfless acts of service. Here, people knew him on sight. The recruits were going at it hard. Two lines of ten clashing with dulled swords. Their white robes were torn from strikes, dirty from hitting the flagstones, and spotted with blood. Some theirs, some their opponents. Two had stopped sparring. Swords still in hand, blood trickling from cuts and bruises. They stared openly at Lincoln as he walked. Another stopped. Then another. Their trainer, Clad in gray robes, moved toward them, a blood-spotted wooden Trudeau in his hand. Then he, too, stopped and stared. Well, how about that? It was Fook Kip, who had run Lincoln and Magda through similar punishing drills. He still looked as craggy as pine bark. Lincoln would never forget the bloody smile of pride on Fook's face the first time Lincoln had put him down in a one-on-one fight. All the recruits stopped. It was obvious some knew who Lincoln was, and some did not. Fook put his trung dao to his chest. He bowed his head. Lincoln stopped walking. He bowed his head in return. No matter what the bastion had done to him, Lincoln knew he would not be alive without Fook's training. There were other trainers, too, not the least of which was Jacoby Franks himself, but Fuchs' brutal methods taught the valuable lesson of pain over and over again. It was the one lesson Lincoln had never forgotten. He started toward the keep again and was almost to the big armored doors when they swung inward. A lone man stepped out. Shaheem Khalil. A familiar face a trusted face, a smiling face. Long, curly black hair, light brown skin, and the same pathetic mustache he'd been trying to grow since he was 16. The last time Lincoln saw the man, Shaheem had worn the gray cloak and armor of a Rixator. Now, he wore the brown cassock of a Vilicus, a bastion administrator, and the white sash tied around his waist, which marked him as the Tertius, the second in line to become the Clostator, the commander of the entire bastion. Lincoln, my friend, Shaheem said. Welcome back. They embraced. Lincoln felt awkward, but Shaheem gave the double back thump of a classic bro hug. Come inside, Shaheem said. The Clostator is expecting you. Shaheem looked at the trainees, then to Fook. 
In an instant, Fuchs' face morphed from nostalgic to furious. You maggots! He screamed, in a voice that was even more craggy than his craggy face. Did I tell you to stop beating the hell out of each other? Line up, maggots! Last one to score a touch spars with me! Lincoln had to stifle a laugh at the horrified expressions on the trainees' faces. He didn't blame them. Sparring with Fook hurt. Lincoln entered the keep with Shaheen. It was like a time warp. Nothing had changed. Same old gray stone walls, same old gray stone floor. Meshwork spheres stood up near the same old gray stone ceiling, cast a steady white glow. They walked together. Shaheem did not need to show Lincoln the way. Lincoln had been called to the Closetor's quarters more times than he could remember. You look good, Shaheem, Lincoln said. You know, I never would have thought a mustache that passes for an anorexic caterpillar with alopecia would look sharp, but man, yours truly does. Thank you. I appreciate that, Shaheem said. You look good, too. Most guys carrying an extra 30 pounds would look fat, but pleasantly plump really becomes you. Lincoln laughed. Yeah, I put on a few pounds. A few? You used to remind me of a walking broadsword. Now I would call your shape more shield-like. Well, that was an exaggeration, but Lincoln had to admit that he was far from the condition he'd been in when everyone knew him as the toughest guy in the bastion. Thank you for coming, Sheem said. It means a lot to the Clostator. The bastion corridors pulsed with the day-to-day energy of the place. Gray-clad Rixators Burgundy-clad, Adjuratores, and the occasional black-clad Monaki walked the corridors. But most of the foot traffic consisted of administrators in brown cassocks, low-level questors, and their villicus supervisors. It struck Lincoln, and not for the first time, that these halls and the people in them had looked the same for the last 4,000 years. Some walked by focused on their various tasks. Most, though, stared at Lincoln. Some with fond reminiscence, some with astonishment, and some, most really, with open disgust. They didn't like him anymore? Well, fuck him. You know, I can't believe that Basil is the secundo, Lincoln said. I hate that prick. Shaheem nodded. And that prick hates you. I'll try to get you in and out before he knows you're here. That was a nice thing to do. But that was Shaheem for you. The nicest person in the world until you cross blades with him. Then, cover up your balls, buddy, because Heem fought dirty. They reached the Closetor's quarters. The entrance looked like any other in the Bastion. Simple, unadorned. Rough stone framing doors made of wood older than any nation on the planet. There were no guards. No one in existence was stupid enough to attack someone here. Doing so would have you pushing up daisies if you were lucky. If you weren't lucky, you would spend the rest of your miserable existence in the gale deep beneath the very courtyard Lincoln had just walked across. Shaheem reached for the door handle but before he could grab it, the door swung inward by itself. Well, shit, 
Lincoln said. In the doorway stood Basil Beverly and his Silkius Rochelle Collar. She wore the burgundy armor and cowl of an adjurator. He wore a brown cassock with a red sash around his waist that marked him as the Clos de Secundo. Steal my breath and turn it into a light breeze, Basil said. If it isn't the quitter in the flesh. Lincoln's hand curled into a fist, but he relaxed it just as fast. He was stupid, sure, but not stupid enough to get his own ass thrown into the gale. But Basil's face was just so damn punchable. Arrogance and old-world competence, accented by bushy black eyebrows and a bald pate with, well, just perfectly graying temples that made him look like the picture in the dictionary next to the entry for aristocrat. Basil, Lincoln said. Rochelle? She sneered a sneer that would have looked at home on the most insolent of British punks. Her spiky blonde hair added to the image. Lincoln was a bit surprised that someone who looked like Rochelle didn't have a few safety pins punched through her cheek. He's the Clausus Secundo, and you will address him as such, she said. Show the proper respect, quitter. Lincoln wanted to punch her, too. If he dotted them both, maybe the gale would be worth it. Got it, Lincoln said. Let me jot that down so I won't forget. He made a show of patting his chest and his hips, the place's pockets might go. Ah, confound it. I'll have my moleskine at the coffee shop. Basil stepped near. The closer that face came, the more punchable it got. While I feel no joy at the Clostator's demise, soon I will be in charge, he said. You'd better start looking for a new line of work, bounty hunter. My first order of business will be to put an end to that trade and return the bastion to traditional values. Traditional values? Lincoln laughed. We talk in Spanish Inquisition traditional, basil old bean? You're going to make the bastion great again? Can I uh, buy a snazzy red ball cap for the occasion? Basil smiled. Make the bastion great again is exactly what I am going to do. Dark times are coming, Franks. We will counter them with the light. And woe be to anyone who tries to stop that light. Come, Rochelle, we have work to do. Basil tried to lightly shoulder past Lincoln, but Lincoln did not budge. The Secundo's smile faded. He stepped around Lincoln and headed down the hall. Rochelle flashed a parting sneer for good measure and hurried after him, her burgundy cloak flowing. Sorry about that, Shaheem said quietly. I did not know that Mr. Fun was inside. Lincoln nodded. I know, bud. I know. Shaheem stepped through the door and held it open. I promise you you will get a warmer reception from the Clostator, he said. Come in, Link. She is waiting.
have been listening to Slay, created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2024, Empty Set Entertainment. For more info on Scott Sigler, his novels, short stories, and podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.